you have your Bible open, we're going to be jumping around a little um, in there. But to begin, uh, historically, we as human beings have seen some very massive historical changes. Think the Stone Age to the Bronze Age, if you like uh, classical antiquity to the Middle Ages, Renaissance to Reformation, industrial to machine age, all the way into what we are right smack dab in the middle of, which is, does anybody know what this age is technically called right now? The the information age. Okay, so part of the information age that we're right in the middle of is the amount of data and information available to us. So how much data is produced in 2021? Okay, so I learned a new term. According to projections, there, were, there will be 74 zettabytes of data created in 2021. Does anybody have any idea what a zettabyte is? Okay, so that's up from 59 in 2020 and 40, um, 41 in 2019. A zettabyte is a trillion gigabytes. So think of a gig with 12 zeros after it. And that's how much information that is now available to us and how much data is being produced all across the world. And you can only imagine what it's gonna be next year, okay? But this much data, or data, however you wanna say it, if you like Star Trek, there you go. How, um, this now has so much information at the tip of our fingers. You can get any news at any point, at any time, just by looking down at your watch. But this also brings an awareness of some injustices that we normally would not be privy to. Um, We are now more and more aware of the continued racial discrimination in our day. Uh, Quick stories, two of them from different parts of our country that capture a little bit of the decades-long story of housing discrimination. In San Francisco, and it also took place in Indianapolis, uh, a black couple um, remodels their home, gets appraisal, and the appraisal comes back extremely lower than expected. So what they do is they have a white couple stand in for them so that they hide their racial identity, and the second appraisal comes back $500,000 more. Or in Indianapolis, it came back double the amount. Okay. We also know of discrimination and the, what has been in the last year, an increase in anti-Asian American violence. According to FBI data, there has been an increase of 73% of anti-Asian American violence in the year 2020, which is a disproportionate amount compared to hate crimes in general, which rose only 13%. That's not all. According to the CDC, in 2019, there were 630,000 abortions in the United States. Now, this data does not include three states, one of them being California, which is our most populous state. Roughly 18% of all pregnancies, or one in five babies, do not get to experience life outside of the womb. This doesn't include all the injustices we see around us on a daily uh, basis, okay? You drive down Pack Highway and you see the same day credit loans, right? We don't even think about those, 
but these are predatory credit lending asking for triple digit interest on lower class citizens. You also see the increase in domestic violence. You see the increase in crime related to drug use. And there's just injustice after injustice all around us. So what do we do with all of this injustice? How do we as disciples of Jesus reconcile our life in Christ with the brokenness we see all around us? In John 2, we see Jesus encounter just that very thing. We see where the kingdom of the world is at odds with his kingdom. And we see how and what he does to address it. And in dealing with it, it's very unique. He actually connects it directly to our worship. So, uh, John chapter 2. In the middle of a series that we're calling Reframing Jesus, getting new portraits of Jesus from the Gospel of John The first four chapters, Jesus is addressing four key Jewish institutions. So last week, he uh, talked about the wedding and the significance of the wedding, and he redefined the importance of it in a lot of ways. Today, it's the temple, and the next two weeks, he's talking about Jewish leaders and the sacred well that we just talked about with the woman at the well in chapter 4. So let me set you the scene. Uh, First, the importance of the temple. And I'm actually going to ask this question. What is the importance of the temple in the lives of Jewish people of of Jesus' day? What was important about the temple? Yeah, so the temple is where God comes and meets his people. So for the, like, heaven meets earth at the temple. That's a big, big deal. God's very presence, if you wanted to meet with God for the Jewish people, they would go up to Jerusalem. So this is the songs of ascent. They would always go up to Jerusalem. This is where God's physical presence, God's glory was made known in the world. And this made Jerusalem very, very special. God was there. Jerusalem was the center place, and the temple was the center place for their worship and sacrifices. So this scene takes place during which of the festivals of of the Jewish people? Passover. Justin just briefly mentioned it a minute ago, but let me just recapture it um, again. Super significant role. 400 years, God's people were enslaved under Egypt. God sent Moses to proclaim freedom to the captives. God would reveal his power over all of Egypt and their gods. And he would provide a sacrifice for them so that they could leave, that they could be saved from their slavery and made a new people in God. And what was that sacrifice? It was a Passover lamb. This lamb was spotless, was, uh, had no blemishes. It was um, sacrificed in place of God's people. They would take some of the blood and put it over the doorpost so that the angel of death would what? Pass over God's people. So this was the centerpiece. It was the central part of the Passover remembrance was the lamb. Played a really significant role. And as a way to celebrate this... Every year, there would be an opportunity for God's people to go to the temple and and sacrifice. So, I want you to imagine being a faithful Jewish family. 
It's Passover again, so you'd make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And what do you have to bring along with you going to Jerusalem? You'd have to bring your sacrifice, which had to be a certain age and, and had to have no blemishes and no broken bones or anything. But imagine having to travel dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of miles, on foot to the temple. First of all, that sounds exhausting, right? But they would regularly do it. But think of all the opportunity this poses for your, your sacrificial lamb to be injured, to be stolen, to run off. So all this time, all this energy to get to Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden this is now broken. Not only that, you also have to do a, a tax, if you will, a, a temple fee. And it was only in a certain type of currency. You, normal people in the Roman Empire, used Roman currency. But you needed to use a shekel to actually pay this fee. So all of a sudden, people in Jerusalem start to see a business opportunity. They start to see, what if we provide this service to people that provide the lambs for them. Oh, and we, what if we all of a sudden started to do some money changing, money exchange, so you could take some of your money and exchange it. But not just that, what if we did it at a fee? And they start to see how lucrative this was. And this business starts to then take massive advantage of people. So in verse 15, this is what Jesus is encountering. He's seeing this economic injustice taking place. Remember, this is the place of worship. This is the place of celebration. This is the place where God's people were supposed to meet God. And now there's a barrier put in front of people. Their, their worship is no longer able to be pure because people are taking advantage of them. But he's very, it's really unique who does Jesus speak directly to? Keep that in mind. So, this is a picture, uh, this story is told in all four gospel accounts, which means it's a really big deal because John usually fills in the gaps. Jesus, this is the only gospel account where Jesus makes a whip. I mean, have you ever seen those pictures where Jesus has this whip and he's like raging eyed, like, and you just think like he's probably hitting people with it? Maybe that's just me, and I've seen that. Like, what do you think? Like, who's he using the whip on? Like, he's got to be using... No, the, the text thankfully says he's just using it on the animals. He's driving out the animals from doing it. Jesus isn't this mad-eyed, crazy person that's going about scattering them. But he's scattering the money changers. And in this text, who is it that he's speaking to? Verse 16, he told those who sold the pigeons... Why does he speak to them? Okay, yeah. What's special about the pigeon, that offering? It's the poorest of the poor. The pigeons were allowed in the, um, the law to be sacrificed for those that were poor, that didn't have any money. And it's really unique to think about what was the offering that Jesus' parents made for him when they dedicated him at the temple? A pigeon, a dove, if you will. This is close to Jesus. This is, I mean, you can imagine growing up in a poor family 
that that was the offering that was made on his behalf. And now he's coming, his ministry's inaugurated, and he's seeing the poor taken advantage of. This isn't just about purity of worship. Now, let me be clear, it absolutely is about that. Clearly, love for him without hindrance. Jesus wanted people dependent upon him and able to approach him. And these money changers, these salesmen were getting in the way of that. They were placing a barrier that defiled worship in his minds. And in so doing, what is Jesus doing in this? He's saying what they're doing is wrong. He's, what he does here is he places himself in the center of worship. But what makes their worship impure? It's that they were taking advantage of the poor. I mean, we, we often, when we look at this text, like Jesus is just trying to cleanse the temple. But what is he cleansing the temple of? What is, what is actually getting in the way? He's seeing injustice. He's seeing brokenness. What makes him zealous and run out the, the animals? It's not just a business opportunity that's in the midst of the temple. That's why in the other translations of this, or in the other versions of this passage in Matthew, he goes on to call this a den of robbers. A den of robbers. This is people robbing. These are people that are placing impurity in the temple. And so, Jesus sees this and he connects worship with justice. He connects coming to him and he identifies injustices and ways people are doing it. All at the center place of worship for God's people. All at the temple. This is, Jesus is wise. He knows what he's doing. That's why in the other gospel accounts, and what I believe are the other times Jesus clears the temple, that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is the reason why the leaders want to murder him. Because they know what he's trying to do. They know the significance of what he's doing. Jesus is making himself the center place of our worship. And he's also making himself the centerpiece of our worship. No longer is the lamb, does that take away the sins of our, the world? Who does? What John says, Jesus, who is the lamb of God. So when we no longer make Jesus the center place and centerpiece of our worship, we're bound to make something else. And when we do that, it inevitably leads to injustice. When our worship is off, our life is off. When our king changes, our morals change to that of another kingdom. When our sacrifice is not Jesus, we expect others to pay the sacrifices of our sins. Jesus wants his kingdom to be experienced here and now. And when his people don't live in light of the gospel and live out these principles... This makes Jesus zealous. So what do we do with all the injustices in the world? Well, if you're like me, it's very easy to become overwhelmed by them. Easily overwhelmed by them. I tend to be overwhelmed when I read the news or I hop on Twitter and I see all these things happening. 
the amount of need that's actually happening in the world that I just, it's so much I just don't, I'm like, I can't, there's nothing I can do, right? Like, I, I throw my hands up. I also think, and this is, for me, there's a dynamic here that when we see injustice, there's, in the midst of all the information that we're getting, there's almost an obligation that we experience to do, say something about it. And maybe this is my role as a church leader. Maybe I don't know what it is, but there's like, hey, what do you, I never saw you post about that one thing that happened in this one city way over there that captures all of the injustices that are happening in this issue. And so there's this obligation. It's like, okay, I like, I have to know. Like, there's days when I'm like, I really don't like social media. Like, I, like, I really don't like it, but there's almost like an obligation to be on just so that you stay up, to, that you know what's going on. And so you add into that increased pressure, and then you think of all the fatigue with the amount of hot button issues that we've all had to face over the last couple of years. <laughs> it hasn't, it's not been light, let's just say that. I also know that justice-oriented thinking isn't my personal natural bend. You don't hear me talk a lot about justice, right? You hear me, like, you, this, I tend to look at this call and justice in the body of Christ as a very prophetic call. I mean, it doesn't take long if you read through the Hebrew scriptures and you read through the prophets and you see the amount of fighting and for, amount of call for justice that is in the scriptures. I mean, Jesus starts his ministry in the Gospel of Luke proclaiming uh, freedom for the poor and setting the captives free. In a lot of ways, this is John's version of that. So it's so easy to see there, but it's, it's very easy for us, and I'll say this for me, to not focus on areas of injustice. And in the last couple of years, especially so, because anytime you talk about injustice or you talk about racial, and I'll say I talk about injustices or justice or racial discrimination or economic injustice, whatever it may be, there's, a, there's the temptation to automatically be labeled, quote unquote, woke. Like you talk about, oh, you must be going down that lane of Christianity. You're giving up the gospel. And I'm like, wait a second, pause. Whatever that word means to you, let's go back to the scriptures. What, is this, what do the scriptures have to say about justice? What does Jesus have to do here? Because here's the thing. This, I believe, is good gospel work. All of our life matters. All of our life as a church that's empowered by the spirit, the same spirit that inspired the prophets is an act of worship as we seek his kingdom above all. And so we see a lot of talk about worship and justice in our day. My concern is that we often separate them in categories and we don't connect them. Those fighting for quote unquote justice often forget that it's because of the gospel. And those who focus on worship often forget that it shows up in the way that we live our lives not just our spiritual lives. And I think this starts with our attitudes towards justice in general and some various issues specifically. And I think there's two ditches that we can fall into when we think of justice and the church. 
We can separate the church from justice, or we can separate justice from the gospel. When we separate the church from issues of justice, we think that the work of church is only evangelism. Now, you all know my heart on this one. I don't need to belabor the point of how much you know my heart for the lost and how I want our hearts to be awoken to the lost. And unfortunately, some people can focus on it so much that that's the only way in which we can engage culture. The only job for the church is to seek and save the lost. But if you read through the prophets, it shows how important it is for God's people to be involved in the practical outworkings of our faith. James 1.27, a very famous passage, says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. You could exchange worship, if you will. That is pure and undefiled is this. To visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and keep oneself unstained from the world. Notice Worship and justice. Worship and care. Worship and thinking of the lowly and the outcast and those on the margin. This is good work. This is spirit-empowered work to get your hands dirty with the mess of the world and be part of the solutions. When you and I see areas of brokenness, this is an opportunity for the church to step up and care. When we see an injustice, we can work to being part of the justice both in personal lives and those areas when it's how groups of people work together or systemic wide issues. Now the other side of the ditch, if that is removing justice from the gospel, the other one is to go the other side of it. This is when you separate justice from the, from the work of the gospel. This is often labeled so, the social gospel. This was a movement that focused so much on the social implications of the gospel that they actually forgot the gospel itself. Um, the, the, and this absolutely happened in certain tribes where it all became about the specific work that needed to be done and, and the specific cause-oriented thing. But what happened was it was so focused on that, it just threw the gospel out. And it, it became a nonprofit organization around a specific cause. And that's just as dangerous, actually, if not more dangerous, than the actual work of the gospel showing up. Now, brothers and sisters, the gospel has social implications. It shows up in our work. If we forget the work we do is because of what Jesus has already done, then in a lot of ways we're missing the point. So we can either throw out the idea of justice or we can throw out the gospel when we come to working this issue. Jesus did something different. He saw the injustice and he stepped in. He was not overwhelmed. He didn't do this because of pressure that was on him. Jesus knows the way the world is designed to be. And he brings that with him wherever he goes. Jesus is the better temple. Jesus is where God meets his people in the world. It's his body, he says later in the passage. But, and he took the next step. 
He obeyed and he did what was right. And in this text, he just saw one area of injustice. In this passage, in this moment, in this action, he was not solving all of the brokenness in the world. But we know that he does do that too. On the cross, what, what does he bear on his body as he pays the penalty of our sin? Not just my sin, the sins of the world. All the injustice, all the brokenness, all the evil, all that is vile. But here, he just took one step. He noticed something and he did something about it. Brothers and sisters, our job is, I don't believe, is to deal with all of the brokenness in the world. I think that is what overwhelms me at least. I think our job is to pay attention. So think of an area of your life where there's something that's just not right. Maybe it's a, a lonely neighbor, a relational strife that's in need of, race, uh, excuse me, of reconciliation. Maybe it's a continual problem in your HOA that's affecting a wide group of people. Maybe it's seeing over and over the same people in need and pushed down in your school, kids' school. What are ways in which you could be part of the solution because of what Jesus did in your life? As missional communities, this is a wonderful, wonderful way to see yourself live out your servant identity. And all of this is an act of worship. The care for the lost, the thinking of the poor, the widows, the needy, all of this is part of our worship. And we place Jesus as the center place and the centerpiece when we follow him into all the world.